Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 through 17, we've been talking about the church, and uh, we, last week we got into the local church. We're going to expand a little bit on that today, get into a little bit of doctrine and even maybe some apologetics for you today. And I hope that you uh, uh, really, really open up your ears and hear what we have to say, because some of it might be a little bit different than what you've heard in the past, um, and I'm tr- going to try to explain how all of this fits together and how we all fit together. You know, I'm very much a local church guy. I believe that you should be connected to a local church. I believe that you should be part of a local church. And, and I hope that came across last Sunday because I was pretty straightforward with it. But there's also a part of the local church that is connected, uh, part of the body of Christ. And it is the body of Christ. So that's what, be, what we're going to be talking about this morning. So Let's go ahead and read our text. If you would stand as we read God's word this morning. Matthew chapter 9, beginning of verse 14. Then John's disciples came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests be sad while the groom is with them? The time will come when the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one patches an old garment with unshrunk cloth, because the patch pulls away from the garment and makes the tear worse. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the skins burst, the wine spills out, and the skins are ruined. No, they put new wine into fresh wineskins, and both are preserved. You may be seated. We're talking, we've been talking about new wineskins. We've been talking about the need for us as believers to embrace our new life in Jesus Christ. To embrace what he has made you, how he has changed you and made you new. You cannot put the old into the new. I was reading in my devotions this past week in the book of Joshua, and it's funny, as, as, uh, as the children of Israel started taking over the promised land, they were deceived. You remember the story? They were deceived by this group of, this group of cities and leaders who knew that the Israelites were too strong for them. They were going to overtake them because they were taking over everybody. And that was promised. They could see that God was on their side. And they had the amazing blessing of the God of all the universe. So they came to them. And when they went to to talk with them, they dressed in rags. You remember this story? They dressed in rags. And they wore patched sandals. How how do you patch sandals? I don't know. They wore patched sandals. And what else did they carry? They carried wineskins that were old and cracked and patched and sewed back up together. So it was a sign of being worn out and really much useless. If we approach our faith, our walk with the Lord, our Christian life, the newness of Jesus Christ with the old ways, it's not going to work. You're begging, you're pleading, you're just setting yourself up for dysfunction in your life. So we have to (laughs) make sure that we put away the old man and allow the new things of Jesus, the newness of Jesus to take over. Now, last week we started this message about the local church. We spent a lot of time talking about its function, its purposes, its biblical mandate, and the importance of the local church. I gave you a lot of scriptures which we used as proof texts, and I hope that you, uh, you can go back and you can watch this, or you can go online and listen to our podcast, and uh, you can... Uh, write these down again. Now you've got proof texts why the local church is so important. And that makes, uh, we made the case for the local church being the vehicle by which God wants to reach this world with his gospel message. The second half of the message today is going to be expanding on that a bit to include what is termed by some the universal church. Laying out what exactly that means and what its purpose and function is. And then got a few more facts that I want to lay out about the local church, but first, let me give you a quick review of what we talked about last week. Why does all of this matter? Remember that part last week? Why does all this matter? Well, it's undeniable that the local church is God's created vehicle through which to reach the world. It's undeniable. Remember I gave you that whole list of what the different uh, parts of the Bible the different passages and books of the Bible, what they meant and how they applied to the local church. Well, it's undeniable that the local church matters to God and therefore should matter to us. And it's undeniable that a large portion of believers take their local church for granted. That's the part where I got interesting comments back this past week. Okay? I know when, I, when I've touched a nerve, 
when I get those, you know, <laughs> I can't, I don't know if when you were growing up, I mean, this is a, date, a dated comment, a dated uh, phrase, a left-handed compliment. I could never say that growing up because my dad is left-handed and he never gave me a left-handed compliment. He gave me a left hand to the head, <laughs> you know. But uh, I'm just kidding. He didn't hit me in the head, please. I just, I speak in hyperbole because I care. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but we don't understand nowadays what the local church really means and, and and we either don't realize or intentionally don't want to realize that God has commanded us to be a part of a local church. And I think that's what really the, the if we got down to the bare bones of the fact, I think that's what it really is. People don't want to be a part of a local church because it takes time. It takes part of your life up. <clears throat> and then it's a, I said this and, and uh, I kind of expected comments back when I said this. It's an issue of laziness, apathy, ignorance, or willful disobedience and arrogance. And I made a couple of provocative statements that I'll remind you of this week. There is absolutely no excuse for a true believer of Jesus to be an active member of a local church. And remember, I said the key word, because that's all people heard. The key word there is active. And active depends on the person. Some people are able to be more active than other people. I'm, I'm, much, I'm able to be much more active than my father. My father is 87. He's, uh, his health is, is he, can, he's, he watches this once in a while, so I won't say it out loud. But my, dad is, my dad's 87, and he's down to about 135 pounds now. And uh, he's not as active as he, he'd like to be, and he's not as active as he used to be. But the point is, he's active. He still gets involved in the church to the degree he's able to. And some of, you, some of you are not able to be here live with us because of your health. But at least you can still be active in communicating with people in the church, in watching us online, in giving financially to the church and supporting. You see, rather than taking offense to comments, see them as they're meant and take them as they're meant and apply them as they should be applied. Then the second one was for a true follower of Jesus, not being an active member of a local church is, all, is sin and willful disobedience and rebellion towards God. And I stand by that statement. Therefore, your loyalty should be to your local church. And by loyalty, I meant your attendance. That's where you should be. Your loyalty, remember I said this, your loyalty should not be to me. If your loyalty is to me, at some point in life, I will let you down. I guarantee it. At some point in life, I'm going to disappoint you. some point in life, I'm going to make you angry. At some point in life, I'm going to make you not want to talk to me. Sometimes I do that on purpose just because I want to be left alone. <laughs> and once again, that's just a joke. Okay? But it's going to happen. It's just the nature of humanity. But we have to understand that we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater all the time. And we can't expect to be happy and joyful in, at every moment of, with everybody. Because life is, not only is life about getting along and fellowship, but life is always also about conflict. And I'll use the verse we always use, Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. If you've ever sharpened a knife, with an iron, you know, the iron rod that they have, uh, Drew, what do they call that? The, the steel, okay? If you ever sharpened a knife in a restaurant, right? You've, you've got those. Um, that's, that's a violent process, sharpening, sharpening a knife. Well, it's also, it's a, it's a time of conflict. Though that one part of iron is striking the other part of iron, and it's a conflict, but something better comes from it. So we need to understand that, and we need to get back to that mentality as Christians of holding each other accountable and talking with each other. That's why we're so big on our men's ministry and our ladies' ministry, so that we can come together and be better together than we are by ourselves. Your, uh, your ministry and service should be through your local church. Your financial responsibility of giving should be to your local church. So let me just say this, as far as finances go, 
Mary, uh, Mary Rowe took over. Uh, my father had to step down, um, and Mary has taken over. She's done a phenomenal job. Mary's doing a great job with the money, uh, finances of the church. She annoys me with, I mean, she writes me texts all the time. And uh, just kidding, Mary. <laughs> uh, she writes me texts all the time. It keeps me updated on everything. And Mary, told, Mary was really excited. And some of you might not think this is fun, but Mary geeks out about this stuff. She said, she said I think I'm going to be able to transfer $1,000 into savings this month. Wait a minute, did I hear that right? Did I read that right? Did I read Cliff? Did I read that right? We're going to, we're going to transfer $1,000 into savings this month. What the what? I mean, come on, man. This is a pandemic. And new lifers, you're showing up, man. You're showing up. Look at that, man. Look at what God is doing. You tell me that God isn't blessing his church for its faithfulness. You have been faithful through this year. You've battled and you fought. You pray for three of our families right now that are going through COVID again. Not again. They're going through it. Um, and you fought through this and you've been faithful. And look at what God's doing. It's amazing. It's amazing. We need to keep that up. We need to keep, because this is going to be our opportunity to reach our community with the gospel. Your fellowship should be in your local church. I love that our men got together yesterday morning. And I was planning on being there, but uh, this is our week up in Lee at a, at a, a timeshare that my parents have passed down to me. And my boys, our, our sons were looking forward to it. And Aaron was looking forward to a weekend by herself. And uh, so I took the boys up there and, and uh, we've been able to swim by appointment only. <laughs> but it's been, it's been great. And uh, so I was, I was so happy to see our men get together and have fellowship. And I, our ladies had a, meet, uh, a dinner Friday night, I guess. So, I mean, it, this is what the church is, is supposed to be about. And your spiritual growth should be supported by your local church. That's what Wednesday nights is all about, the Wednesday Night Deeper program. I'm going to be teaching for five weeks, and then Pastor Osvaldo has taken over with, he's got a whole plan laid out, uh, a whole program laid out for discipleship and Bible studies, and, and he's, I'm going to be, I'm just going to show up and teach my Bible study, and Pastor Osvaldo is going to lead the adult, um, you know, the, the different small groups. He's in charge of that, and, uh, and he, he knows where to take that and how to take that. So it's going to be, it's going to be awesome. We take your discipleship seriously. Therefore, you should take it seriously as well. So we've talked in abundance about the local church, but what about those of us from different Bible-believing evangelical churches? And I promise you, we're going to go quickly here this morning. So if you have pen and paper, uh, write some of this stuff down. If not, you can watch it again on Facebook, because I'm going to fly through some of this stuff. Um, how do we fit together? What is the purpose of us all? Are we simply individual bodies doing our own work and staying, se or, and staying separate? Or is there a greater plan for all of the churches together? So I use the term local or universal church. We use two terms, universal church and local church. Local church is us here, a local body of believers. Universal church, let me tell you, as an evangelicalist, really, I grew up a fundamental Baptist, okay? Hardcore, Bible-believing, KJV-only, Satan-hating, sin-stomping, uh, we don't smoke, we don't chew, we don't go with those that do Baptist. Okay? That's what I grew up as. Hair had to be over the ears, off the collar, and tapered. How in the world do you taper hair for a guy? I don't know, man. But that's how my hair had to be growing up. And if it touched my ears, I was in trouble. In church. Okay? Churches that we associated with had signs in the door, women in pants need not, need not enter. That's just the way it was, man. That was, the, that was the kind of stuff. And those kind of churches, they cringe when I use the term universal church. And maybe you do too. I have pastor friends who don't like the term universal church. I get it. I understand because it seems on its face to undermine the argument about the local church. But we can walk and chew gum at the same time. Therefore, we can, we can understand two different definitions at the same time. And this morning, that's what I'm going to share with you. <clears throat> Ecumenically, and I think this is the biggest problem with the term universal church. Ecumenically, the term local church is applied to the Catholic church. <gasps> I said Catholic church. In, uh, yes, I'm going to be talking about that a lot this morning. Okay, a lot. 
So just, if you're on Facebook, don't turn us off. Just listen to me. You can send me hate mail later if you don't like it. But we're going to be talking about that a lot. Because a lot of the problems in churches today and a lot of the misinformation and misunderstanding that is in local churches, evangelical churches today, comes from the thought that we come from the Catholic Church. In fact, my wife Erin is going through, she's, she's a senior right now in her uh, program out of Regent University. She'll graduate, she'll finish up her degree in August, her, her bachelor's in Christian ministry, and then she's going right into her master's program. She's already talking about a PhD, and I can't even spell PhD, but <laughs> that was a joke too. Um, but, uh, She's, she's at that place now where she's taking church history. And it, oh, it just annoys me to no end. Because for some reason, in Bible preaching, evangelical Bible colleges and university, universities, church history is tied to the Catholic church. In fact, the, the creeds and the, 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 uh, the diets and the, the meetings and the councils, understand, those where the, the churches that we come from, that this church comes from, didn't participate in those. That's why we don't say the Apostles' Creed. If you read, Third Day recorded uh, Rich Mullen's song, uh, Creed, and Rich Mullen's wrote, if you read the creed that that song comes from, they leave, Rich Mullen's left out the part that says, we be, it says, I believe in God the Father, I believe in the Son, blah, blah, all this stuff. And he leaves out the part that says, we believe in one holy Catholic church. That's in that creed. So we don't, we don't subscribe to those. I'm not saying there's not good stuff in there, but it, it came from people who did not believe theologically the way we believe. Now, <clears throat> the line of Evan, uh, let, me, let me back up for a second. The term universal church is applied to the Catholic church and the branches that broke off from it. Some of you, some of you say, well, I'm a Protestant. I'm going to show you this morning that we're not Protestant. We didn't come out of the Protestant Reformation. Okay, not the, kind of, not the kind of church that I lead. We didn't come out of the Protestant Reformation. The Protestant Reformation, they came, who, what were they protesting? The Catholic church. So Luther, all these guys, Calvin, they all came out of the Catholic Church. In fact, Luther and Calvin, now we're getting real deep in the theology here. Calvin and Luther, their biggest problem, the same thing with Jacobus Arminius, their biggest problem is that they didn't completely walk away from the Catholic Church. They tried to hold on to some of the Catholic doctrine while rejecting the, the doctrine of salvation. See, the line that we come through, if you ever want to read a great book, it's a, a, you can order it on Amazon. It's 99 cents. It's called Trail of Blood. It's a great book that outlines uh, the, the, the dissension from the first century church to today. And I'm going to give you some of that here today. The line of evangelical, evangelicalism, strictly speaking, what we are as a church does not come from the Catholic church. And understand what I mean by that. The Catholic Church was founded, I believe it was 3, 324 A.D., something like that, when um, um, Constantine, maybe, you've, maybe you read this in, in ancient world history, Constantine was out with his army, and he said he saw something in the sky, and it was a sign in the sky, the sign of the cross, and it said, in this sign conquer. And that's where he decided to bring the church into the Roman uh, the, the Roman. Uh, government and make the Holy Roman Church, the Holy Roman Catholic Church. There was a group that did not get into that and did not follow and refused to go to those. And that's where we come from. The history of modern day evangelicalism, churches that teach salvation by grace through faith, baptism as identification with Jesus, local church membership and activity, the infallibility of the scriptures, a responsibility to share our faith with others and the return of Jesus in the rapture to take all believers to heaven before the great tribulation can be traced through a line that does not include and that is separate from the Catholic Church or the Protestant Church movement for that matter. There is a line of believers, churches, denominations, and groups that trace all the way back to the apostles, the true followers of Jesus from the beginning. 
because they refused to join with Constantine to form the Catholic Church, they were denied the title Christians. This group of people refused, this group of Christians, and it wasn't five, two or three. In fact, it's estimated that from the time that the Catholic Church was instituted until the Middle Ages, the Reformation period, it's estimated that up to 50 million true believers, who we would call, what we would call evangelicals, were martyred for their faith. Many of them by the Catholic Church themselves. Understand what, if we say we come out of the Catholic Church, understand this. The Catholic Church doctrine is completely against the Word of God. Catholic Church doctrine teaches baptismal regeneration. They baptize babies. You won't find that anywhere in the Bible. I get asked, I don't know how many times a year, do you baptize babies? No, we don't. You cannot. Baptizing a baby doesn't wash away original sin. We don't do that. It doesn't happen. We believe in baptism as obedience to God after you accept Christ. And that's what these people believed. They rejected infant baptism. They rejected baptismal regeneration. We don't believe you have to be baptized in order to go to heaven. It's a great thing. It shows that you are wanting to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But me dunking you in water that comes out of a hose has nothing to do with your eternal security. It is all about obedience to Jesus Christ, but it has nothing to do with your salvation. So if we're saying that the Catholic Church was the church for that period of maybe 1,300 years, what we're saying is anybody who followed, there was literally no one that accepted Christ as their Savior for 1,300 years. You understand that? If we're saying that the Catholic Church was the church, and they were teaching baptismal regeneration, and they were te not teaching... Did you know that the Catholic Church back then had what were called indulgences? You could purchase an indulgence for a family member who died. And by you giving the Catholic Church money, they spent less time in purgatory. By the way, purgatory isn't in the Bible. You see, all of this is that teaching. And if we say we come from that, we're saying that for 12 or 1300 years, the gospel was shut out, but it wasn't. There were those who protested and stood against and didn't participate in the Catholic Church uh, teachings. Because they did that, they were denied the title Christians. They were referred to as Montanists, Tertullianists, Novationists, pa uh, Paterines, Paulicians, because they held to Paul's teachings, and even Anabaptists. How many have ever heard the term Anabaptist? Anabaptist is a term, and, that, and that's where Baptists draw their history from many times, Anabaptists. You know what Anabaptist means? Baptist means baptize, okay? Anna means again. So Anabaptist was a derogatory term saying these people believe in baptizing people again. They rejected, it was a law. You understand in the, in the Roman, Roman government, it was a law for a long time that your baby had to be baptized? These people believed they refused to baptize their babies, and that's why many of them were killed. But if they came to faith afterwards, they rebaptized people because that baptism didn't matter. So they were called Anabaptists, again, baptizers. But those are the terms they used for them in derision rather than calling them Christians. Christian simply means little Christ. In fact, many of these groups of Christians who formed what is the forerunner of today's evangelical church were persecuted by the Catholic Church. While the Catholic, we talked about baptism already, while the Catholic Church taught transubstantiation and communion, this group of believers saw, saw it as simply as a reminder and a form of fellowship. Trans, you understand, in the Catholic Church, trans, you know what transubstantiation is, those of you former Catholics? Transubstantiation means this. This is what the... This is what, and you can verify this by, by studying Catholic theology. They believe that during communion, the bread becomes the literal body of Jesus, and the wine becomes the literal blood of Jesus. So they believe you're literally consuming the body and blood of Jesus. That is not what Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper about. It is to remember and to remind us and those, this group of people, they took, that's how they saw uh, uh, communion. The point is, there has always been a true body of believers, a true church, 
outside of the heresy, oops, I use the H word about the Catholic Church, taught by the Catholic Church. These group rejected the creeds, councils, and councils of doctrine and held to the truth of the Word of God. They didn't give in to the pressure of conformity. They did not love their lives even to the point of death, as the Bible says. So when we talk about the church that Jesus pronounced in Matthew 16, 18, that he would build his church and the gates of hell wouldn't prevail against it, that is the church that he was referring to, not the Catholic church. Go all the way back to what I said at the beginning. The universal church is what, is what everybody refers to as the Catholic church, but that is not the true teaching. In fact, I've said this much, I'll say it again. I'll, I'll just go all the way, Zach. Might as well. What have I got to lose, right? The Catholic Church is a cult. They're a cult. They're just a cult. Okay? They don't believe the Bible. They don't believe what the Bible teaches. They don't believe sound doctrine. And people who stay in the Catholic Church their entire lives will be very fortunate if they ever accept Jesus Christ as their Savior because they're taught that, as long, they're taught that you have to do everything the Catholic Church says. You have to trust the Catholic Church and if that's what you do, you'll never accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. Now, there is a group within the Catholic Church that are trying desperately to reach Catholics for Christ, and I appreciate their ministry. But Catholic Church doctrine leads people straight to hell. When it comes to the term church here in the Bible, in the New Testament, there are two different usages of it. One is two, dis two distinct usages. One is a heavenly or universal assemblage, assembly of people, and the other is a local assembly. Last week we covered that local assembly. This week we're going to talk a little bit more, and we're already into it. What is this other usage of the word, this, this universal collective? Is there such a thing as a universal church? One thing I know to be true is that we cannot allow someone or something to hijack a teaching of the Word of God and corrupt it and pervert it so that it does not completely look like what the Bible truly teaches. We've got to acknowledge and teach truth no matter what. Therefore, we've got to look at this idea of the universal church, and not just because of doctrine, because especially in our area, churches don't want to work together. That's the point of all of this. We're going to be sending our assistant pastor, Zach, out to, to start a church, him and his wife. By the grace of God, that's going to be two churches that work together to reach the Pioneer Valley for Jesus Christ. We're not going to be competing for members. In fact, some of you that live over in that area, you might want to go join him because that is your community. I believe local church, man, and I'm not going to be a hypocrite when it comes to, um, when it comes to another church. If, he, if the church property that they buy is, in your, is on your block, guess where I think you should probably go to church? That church, why? Because the people in your neighborhood are more likely to go to a church in their neighborhood than they are to drive across the river. He's got all kinds of statistics that talk about the hesitancy that people have to cross the Connecticut River. Talk to him about it. He's done his work. He's done his research. You see, I believe local church, but I also believe that we are a universal body of Christ and we need to work together. Churches need to work together. The body of Christ is a universal church. We, as the body of Christ, the universal church, will have our first united meeting in the rapture. How cool is that? When the rapture happens, when Jesus Christ returns in the clouds, the trumpet is blown, and all believers are called up from this world before, before the tribulation period, and we are called up the universal church will meet together for the very first time in a worship service that we cannot imagine. <sighs> Praising Jesus. Listen, I, I have no idea what time is like in God's, in, in God, on God's clock. It doesn't even exist. But I, can you imagine that day when we are called up together in the air to meet the Lord? We're going to read the verses here in just a couple minutes. <clears throat> the praise, I mean... That's the moment our faith becomes sight, man. That's the moment we realize everything that we've lived for and done, it's true. 
And now, here we go, man, eternity is beginning for us, and we're together. And the sacrifices we made, and the struggles we went through, and the battles we fought together, they mattered. And it mattered because Jesus died for our sins, and he's our Savior, and now we're together for all eternity. Man, that's going to be the first meeting of the universal church. The word ecclesia is used 115 times in the New Testament, 111 times referring to the church. And as I said earlier, there's two different distinct usages. Throughout the Gospels, throughout the book of Matthew, the Gospels, and the book of Acts, it's usually referring to the church, the body of believers, not the local church. Once we get into the epistles and into the revelation, then we get into the local church. But in the, in, when Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church, that's the word ecclesia. But he wasn't using that in terms of a local body of believers. If Jesus can, here's, here's, my, here, here's my argument with other pastors when they say they don't like it. If Jesus can use the term church to describe the universal body of believers, then I can too. Because he knows more than they do. <laughs> okay. He's the standard. And Jesus calls the universal body of believers a universal church. That's where the term called out ones come from. We are called out from the world. The Holy Spirit called to us, and we responded to that call, and we have been called out from the world, and we are now the body of Christ. We are the universal church. And that's, what Je that's how Jesus referred to it. Remember, when Jesus was teaching, the church hadn't been established yet. He was laying the foundation for it. The church was established the day when Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. So he was talking, and all through the book of Acts, when it says they were added to the church, they weren't just talking about the church in Jerusalem. They were talking about the body of believers. It wasn't until Paul and Peter and, uh, and all these other authors started talking, writing to local churches, that that term changed and took on the, the secondary meaning of local church, okay? Now, <clears throat> I have jumped way ahead here. It's important for us to understand a concept of a larger body of believers called the church outside of our local church for many different reasons. One is because we're going to be spending eternity together. Yeah, you understand that, right? I, <laughs> I think it would be so cool the sense of humor of Jesus. I think it'd be so cool to take some of these good old boys, Bubba and his friends, from deep the deep south and put them right smack dab in the middle of T.D. Jakes and some of these other men of color. I think it'd be awesome. You spend eternity next to a guy that you said wasn't good enough to go to your church. I, you know, I know it's going to be different in heaven and we're not going to have those attitudes, but I just think that'd be awesome, be to personally. Anyway, it's important that we learn to get along and learn the practical purposes of the body of Christ. And that's what this is all about. So what are the practical purposes of the universal body of Christ? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 14. For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we are all given one spirit to drink. Indeed, the body is not one part but many. What are the practical purposes of the body of Christ? What are the practical purposes of different local churches, not only for the kingdom of God, but for the kingdom of God together? Okay, because we're not competing. Understand that. First Baptist Church on the south side of town, Pastor John Kearns, good guy, really good guy. He's got a great ministry going there. John is a go-getter. He's, a, a, a he's got a, a, a good ministry. He's got a different, kind of a different approach to things than I do, but that's okay. He's doing a great job. Uh, the new pastor over at Bethlehem, I've had lunch with Darren, Darren Ray, several times. He was at our pastor's meeting a couple weeks ago. Darren is a great guy. I met Darren because I found out Darren is from Kansas, and he moved to Massachusetts, and... Not sure if many of you, I mean, some of you, we, we've got a family right here. We have a family visiting this morning from Wisconsin, okay? Maybe you guys can sympathize, all right? <laughs> um, I want to say this delicately. 
we're different up here. We're, we're a different breed. Vicky is from like the Mid-South. Yeah, you thought you moved to Russia, didn't you? Don't you? You thought, you, you thought, you thought the commissar is in town. Yeah, this is, this is crazy up here. It really is. Um, but we are, we all have different ways. Darren, I, I, I met Darren. I had lunch with Darren because I knew it's a challenge to move to, to, move to this area and to get stonewalled by New Englanders, right, Osvaldo? It's a different breed, man. Can you, ima- you imagine moving from Minnesota? Can you imagine moving from Brazil, coming here? We're, yeah. <laughs> so I knew that he needed a friend. And I would like to break down, because let's be honest, listen, I used to, when we first moved up here, we used to play First Baptist in, soft, in church softball. You talk about holy wars. I'm not kidding, man. I was 15 years old. I played freshman baseball for East Longmeadow High School. I had guys, I had men, adult men, sliding into second base, spikes high at me. I about lost my mind. Man, that was dirty, dirty ball. And that was all because there was hatred and animosity between the two churches. No doubt, no lie. Bethlehem and New Life, There's some, there's, there's some anima. Hey, don't even get into the fact that we're not Pentecostal or Assemblies of God. Because that's a whole different breed right there. Do we realize what we're doing? <laughs> we're dividing the body of Christ. Right now, I feel that scripture that says if one part of the body hurts, the whole body hurts. My left hip has no cartilage left now. I have lost all of it. My entire body aches because of that one hip. If they offered to take it out this afternoon, I would be there with bells on to give me a brand new hip. Man, I'd do it in a heartbeat. If you've never gone through pain like that, you have no idea. And you've all got those situations that when one part of your body hurts or isn't functioning properly, it affects the rest. Don't you see the beauty and the amazing lesson that Jesus was teaching us by using that illustration of the, 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 the church, the body of Christians being a body that has to function together? We've got to be able to function together. We've got to be, there are over 600,000 people that live within a stone's throw of our church in the Springfield metropolitan area. Between us and where Zach is gonna plant his church, literally, Probably 250,000 people live between us in the space between. How do you think we are going, new life is going to reach all that? We're not going to reach all those people. That's why I want to support the Q, because there are actually people that have just roamed the dial and found the Q and come to know Christ. And what the Q does is encourage us. I remember when Aaron and I were going through the adoption process, It was brutal. If those of you who were here at that time, you know what we went through. It was terrible. We were driving along and we heard the song Worn by 10th Avenue North. I'm tired, I'm worn. Oh my goodness. There was a time where we we were denied and we had to fight to get approved. And the song by Sidewalk Prophets, Help Me Find It, came on and it gave us the strength to carry on. And we knew, Aaron, Aaron, there is no, listen, there is no possible scientific ever way for Aaron to ever have children. You understand that, right? She's not like, she can't take medication. She can't do anything. There's nothing, zero, nothing can be done for Aaron to ever be able to have children naturally. So our sons are a miracle. And that song by Third Day, Miracle, was an amazingly powerful song for us. We heard those on the queue. See, the queue is a ministry that reaches to all Christians no matter, what, no matter what brand you are. We need to cooperate with each other like we cooperate by listening to the radio. We need to learn how to get along. So what are the purposes and practical purposes of the universal body of Christ? Quickly, cooperation. We really, need, we really are better together than divided. Division is of Satan. In fact, Jesus said that a house divided against itself cannot stand. 
There are opportunities for cooperation for evangelism, community outreach, social, uh, social solutions, and more that we can work together on. We can work together on these things. Can you imagine if all the churches got in, all the evangelical churches in the Springfield area got together and opened up a couple feeding centers, homeless shelters, and what we could do with the, what we could do there? Seriously, you talk about social justice, that's what I'm all about. I care less who's in, the, who's, who's in charge, who's running the show. Listen, we, you, you open things up. You, you start a ministry and a program. We have, I was, I was talking with Jamil uh, Wednesday night. What did I say? We have four, we have, we have three trained chefs in this church. <laughs> three trained chefs and I'm getting my stomach cut out. What the heck is that all about? Okay, I'm getting my 75% of my stomach cut out and I've got three trained chefs in my church. That's ridiculous. It, I can't even, it, <sighs> shut up, John. <laughs> Jeez, I depressed myself. Do you, and, then we have, and then we have a guy that owns his own pizzeria. Amen. Oh, gosh. Can you imagine what these gentlemen could do if we were to open up a feeding center? My gosh, man. Look at that. I mean, unbelievable. We have the tools. Oh, well, that's my job. No, no, no. These guys, sit down and talk with, with Drew and find out from Drew how he had his restaurant not just survive, but thrive during the pandemic. That's a, that's a man who knows what it means to incorporate the principles of Jesus Christ into his business. And I'm proud to have him in my church. Listen, folks, if we were to get together as churches, we could stem so many problems in society. And while we're doing that, reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh. But we're afraid to take people from another church. We're afraid that somebody's going to have a better program than we are. So they're going to take them from us. So we don't want to get together. And that starts from the top. We just have to stop worrying about that. Ephesians 2 19 and 20. So then, uh, oh, then, then the second, second purpose is fellowship. We see that in Ephesians 2, 19 and 20. And I'm just going to list these. I'm not going to take the time to read. It's fellowship, especially for leadership. You have no idea how good it is and how comforting it is for me to be able to sit down with other brothers in the ministry. To be able to sit down and talk. Just like you can sit down and talk with people who do the same job you do. Sit, being able to sit down and talk with other men who lead churches. We, when we met two weeks ago, it'll be two weeks ago Wednesday, we talked about pastoring churches during a pandemic. And we all know several pastors who just, they, they just couldn't endure it. It was very difficult. It's, it's been tough. Now, like I said, for me, I'm very fortunate because, I shouldn't say fortunate. I've, I've been through worse in my life. Yeah, I've been through worse, so this was nothing. Yeah, that's not the thing to brag about, right? Um, but I've tried to be an encourager through all of this, because I know it's been incredibly difficult for pastors to lead churches. Imagine you're running four services and then nobody shows up. And for, for, for men who are not secure in their own, in themselves, they're not secure in their own who they are. I love what Aileen does with, with her ministry, trying to build up women, loving yourself and loving who you are. For men who who don't have that, can you imagine what it feels like to show up on a Sunday morning and nobody else shows up? And nobody shows up for a year? That's a blow to the ego. Now, for me, like I said, the hills and valleys of this church have prepared me for this. So I've tried to reach out and be an encouragement to other pastors through all this. But we need fellowship. I need fellowship with other leaders. And you need fellowship with people of other churches. That's where we get the best ideas sometimes, right? We know good ideas when we steal them, I mean, when we borrow them. <laughs> Having collective worship services together. And then we combine for education. The education I got, the education that Pastor Zach got, and I believe what, what Pastor Osvaldo got, was because other churches came together and established his co established it. Yeah, I've got a good education. <laughs> established colleges. 
college was the best nine years of my life, man. And I, I, went, to, I went to a total of three different colleges through my years of, of getting my degree. And every one of them was alive and functioning because churches got together and supported one ministry. See, we can cooperate for, with training people for ministry in other areas of life if we would come together. That's part of the universal body of Christ and missions. We as a church cannot support every missionary on our own. But if every church did their part, we could send out so many people. The Alsops, you look at Craig Alsop and his, his family. They're, they're, I mean, Craig's up in New England again. They're traveling all around reporting to churches and ministering because churches are buying into their ministry. Man, that's what we need to do. As, church, as, 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 org, as churches, we come together and support missions. Therefore, that, that, in that way, we can reach the world. And I said that our first meeting is going to be in the air. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. The very first meeting of the universal church. The very first worship service. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the archangel's voice and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Man, that is when we're going to get together with our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're going to rejoice, and we're going to praise and worship the, the God of all creation, the one who paid the price for our sins. Universal body of Christ, the universal church. Not only is it a local body, not only is the church all about coming together here at New Life and meeting and fellowshipping and worshiping together, man, there's so much more to it. Folks, I commit to you as the pastor of this church, as the overseer, as the shepherd, as the head of, of, of this body, whatever you want to call me, I commit to you that we are going to work with other churches to reach the Piner Valley for Jesus Christ. I don't care what language they speak. I don't care the color of their skin. That just makes it all the better. Remember, we're a minority-majority area. We got to get over ourselves if we don't like, if, if white people don't like people with different colored skin. And I hope you'll take up that mentality as well that we will cooperate with other churches to reach this world, to reach our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ through our love, because the Bible says they'll know we're Christians by our love. How can you do that practically? Well, you can support your brothers and sisters, and other churches. When I do my prayer drive on Saturday night, I don't just pray for our church. I name other churches in our area throughout the Springfield metro area. Then I go to Western Mass, and I've got pastors, pastor friends, pastor friends in, in central Massachusetts and up in northern Mass and down in the Cape and in the Boston area, and then throughout New England and all around the country, and then all, I pray for all around the world, and I name uh, pastors and missionaries that I know throughout the world that are pastoring churches, and those who I don't know. Because I'm not just trying to build the ministry of New Life Church. I'm trying to, to do what I can to support other ministries who are trying to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, because the alternative is them dying and going to hell. And I don't like that idea. And how else can you support the, the function of our local church in a universal church mentality? You can get on board with missions giving. You can give to missions. Above and beyond, now we, I don't, I, if you give $20 a, a week, I don't want you to give, to change that $20 and now give it to missions. I want you to go above and beyond. Try sacrificing a latte or whatever it is your favorite thing for the week. I guarantee you, if we, most of us, if we go through our budget every week, every month, we could find an extra 10, 15, 20, 25 dollars. My wife and I, our family, we give 25 dollars a month to missions above and beyond what we give to this church. And I'm hoping to raise that. But I'm sure we could all find some way that we could carve out some money every month to give to missions. There's a group, there, there's a, I've told you about the McCove, the, the McCove family down in Paraguay. Man, they're trying to reach 
they're trying to reach orphans, a term that we don't even use in America anymore today because we think it's offensive. And through that, reach their families with the gospel. Other ministries that, that need help, that's how we can embrace the idea of a local body of believers impacting the world in a universal way in the, through the universal church mentality body of Christ. What are you going to do with that? What are you, how are you going to accept that? And are we going to get beyond our own territorial mentality of our church to see that we need to support others in ministry? I hope that someday the day comes where we can send out more men and women from this church to plant more local churches and cooperate with them to reach our area. Over 600,000, that's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. Talk about an underserved area, that's us. What would God have you do? Let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege of coming today together in your house and, and uh, looking into your word and understanding what you have to say to us about what you meant when you said you would establish your church. Father, I pray that we'll all grasp that concept. We'll take that understanding to heart. We'll put it to practice in our lives. And God, may this church be the church that turns the tide in the western Massachusetts, the, the, the Springfield metropolitan area, the Piner Valley region. May, may New Life Church be the church that turns the tide and changes the mentality towards cooperation among churches to reach this area collectively with the body of Christ, with your gospel message. Bless us, Lord. Thank you for your sacrifice for us as we prepare to enter into Holy Week this week. God, may we remember what it is that you did for us and what this week means for us and what you are setting up and what it is you actually did for us when you died for our sins. God, may it impact us this week. Bless us as we go. May we all go forward as worshipers of yours. In your name we pray. Amen.